Welcome back, dear listeners, to another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Caspar McLeod, and joining me for the second time this season, it is Regan Hodge. Regan, how's it going? Hope you're doing well. You have some very exciting stats ready for me that were telling me about yesterday, and I am very, very, very interested in hearing about them. Well, hello everybody. It's good to be back, and yeah, I've got a couple of couple of numbers. I won't hype them up too much, but keen to get stuck into the footy chat. Should be interesting. In case this is your first time listening, dear listener, this is a podcast split into three sections. First section, we'll each give our top highlight, top low light, and then we'll dive into the main talking points of the round just gone before diving into Anzac round and previewing that. But we'll start off with the highlights and the lowlights. Regan, what was your top highlight of the weekend? I've got to say it was Collingwood standing up against the undefeated St Kilda side. I don't think they've gotten enough credit for this um, win on Sunday evening. Our ruck stocks, Collingwood's ruck stocks rather, are depleted. And I thought Billy Frampton did a really good job. And I haven't heard much spoke spoken about him and his efforts on Sunday. So um, as AFL 360 like to say, he would be my Monday hero. I like it. I like it. Um, I had a feeling you were going to go with Collingwood. For those who don't know, Regan is a Collingwood supporter. Um, well, I was going to say the uh, the bias, Essendon and Sydney results, considering the fact that according to Fox Footy, they are both inside the premiership window, top six for defence and offence after the first five rounds. But instead, I will mention what a roaring success the uh, gather round has been in terms of crowds. It was fantastic to see crowds filling out stadiums, you know, at, at Adelaide Oval, obviously, but also at Norwood, Mount Gambia, uh, not Mount Gambia, sorry, Norwood and the Adelaide Hills. Um, and it's great to see that it has resulted in South Australia being rewarded with Gather Round until 2026, which means we could see footy in the Clare Valley, in Mount Gambia, Port Augusta, it should be very interesting to see how the AFL continues going forward. It should be fascinating. But, of course, for every single highlight, there is a low light. And if it's okay, I think I'll start off with this one. The low light for me, and this is – I wasn't expecting this to be the low light until about yesterday. The West Coast Eagles have truly fallen apart as a once great football club. And it's not just on field where – a 47 point loss is actually pretty, you know, a pretty decent result for them considering that they did trail in that game by 77 points. But off field, when they've come out and they've said that they're going to request an extra home game in Western Australia next year because of the extra travel. And they're complaining because apparently some Victorian clubs travel less than 15,000 kilometres when both them and Fremantle travel about more than 70,000 kilometres in 2022. Not understanding the fact that Victorian clubs are now also travelling more because of the extra gather round in South Australia. But I just want to point this out that over the last few years, clubs have faced numerous challenges because of COVID, because of the pandemic, because of injuries, because of travel, because of all this stuff. And there is no club that has complained more about this than the West Coast Eagles. And yet they stubbornly refuse to admit the fact that they need to cut about 50% of their experienced players that are currently just hogging up the injury list Looking at the players on that list, Dom Cheed, Yo on and off of it, Shuey on and off of it, Nat Nui, you and I were talking about Regan yesterday. When was the last time we saw him play a great game? 20, 2018, I reckon, for mine. I just think... It's, it, it's been a long time. It's um, been a long time. It feels like he hasn't even been playing 
West Coast probably aren't in the spotlight any as much anymore because of their recent ladder positions. But um, yeah, it's sometimes you you forget is he even playing at the moment or is he back injured? Um, you tend to tend to leave the Eagles out of it. What maybe. a joke of a football club! Stop complaining and start trying to figure out a ways that you can actually climb back up the ladder. Hint, hint, hint. Go to the draft for crying out loud. You have one top 10 draft pick. Sorry, if you include Gaff. You have two top 10 draft picks currently on your list. You need to go to the draft, considering the fact that one of those two top 10 draft picks was drafted in 2010 when you last won the wooden spoon. The Eagles for the attitude off-field Definitely the worst team in the competition at the moment. And frankly, I'm sick of them complaining. Absolutely sick of it. Also, apparently, how about this? Apparently, they actually, they played in South Australia, the Adelaide Oval against Geelong. They play against Port Adelaide in Adelaide again this weekend. And yet, apparently, though they complained about the travel that they had to do, they actually flew back to Perth before flying back out to Adelaide. That makes zero sense. Stop complaining about travel. What about you, Regan? What was your low light? I can see where the Eagles are coming from with that. Um, They do have it tougher than everyone else, along with the Dockers, in my view. Um, Don't see Freeman still complaining? No, you don't as much. Um, And even getting back home this week, I can understand. It would be a couple of hours on the plane each way. Um, and it's it's important for a lot of those players to be able to get home and see their families and kids and do the things they normally do during the week. Um, so I, I can see how they'd rather not spend a whole 10 days away from their family. Um, but the low light for me is not a specific one, but it's St Kilda's injury list. Mm-hmm. Gee, it's long. It is bloody long and there are some really important players there, which is a really, it's a real shame because it's not showing their full potential yet. And even though they're right at the top of the ladder, there's still so much more improvement, which which is in itself a positive. Mm. But these players, we've got Max King on the sidelines, Zach Jones on the sidelines, Jack Hayes, Nick Caulfield, Jack Vitale, Billings, um, Jack Steele should be coming back soon, Dan McKenzie, all these great players who are in their best 22 mm. um, are not getting their shot at showing what St Kilda's real potential is. So hopefully in the next few weeks or second half of the season, we can um, see them return to the field and see what the real St Kilda looks like. Sounds good. It should. Well, Jack Steele is coming back against Carlton. That that will be huge. Um uh, memory should be coming should be coming in for Caminiti after Caminiti received uh, received his suspension um, for the off off the ball hit. So they have players coming back, um, which if you're a non Saint Kilda supporter should make you very afraid of the Saints because they've been awesome so far with an injury list as you said about a mile long. On to the main talking points of the weekend, and it starts off with the. Uh, what what does a what what does Jared Wheatley call it? The the top the top of the agenda top of the agenda. That's it. Top of the agenda, gather round, held in South Australia every year till twenty twenty six. I want to ask you: Is it the right decision to give gather round to South Australia for the next three years? And after that, where should they go? I think it's a great call. The South Australian Premier did a really good job working with the AFL to get this underway within five months of the announcement. I think it was a, obviously a really good success. And from now on, he's got years to plan out how it's going to expand and get better, which he's come out and said there are a couple of things um, he'd like to tweak and um, expand on. One of them was ticketing for the double headers. He wasn't Mr. Malinowskis. I mm. uh, wasn't sure how the ticketing system could work better for the double headers, whether you stay for both games or you come, you come out for the second or vice versa and things like that. And he also wants to expand and maybe take a game to the Barossa, which I know 
Um, there's a lot of interest there for for those travelling. But I think the amount of years in Adelaide is and South Australia is is right. It gives the fans in Victoria not it's not the same group of fans that are going to go over every year. Mm. I mean, only you'd be very lucky to be going every year. So the diehard fans that want to go into state to watch football, they're going to get a chance over the next four, three or four years to go over. And it sort of rotates the fans, if that makes sense, you, mm. because everyone can't go every, every year. Um, and then, yeah, so... I would look at taking it to Sydney and New South Wales after South Australia finishes up their turn. I think Sydney could really put on a show uh, with the SCG and Giant Stadium. Um, you've got the Homebush and Olympic Park areas right near the the bay and the water. I mean, you could expand it with enough time, a really nice ground in Bondi or Manly or something like that. Um, you could also play games at Monica, which is a little drive away. But I think basing in Sydney could be really beneficial. And hopefully if it's dry enough, um, it'll be a really beautiful spectacle. Um, and then one for later on down the track, Brisbane are hosting the 2032 Olympics and the Gabba and the whole precinct around that is going to be upgraded. Um multi-billion dollar works there. So I think once that's all completed in 2032, this is a long way away, but if we could host a gather round in Brisbane, either somehow make it work in the Olympic year or the year after, once all the stadium infrastructure is ready to go and it's all spick and span and ready to go, I think Brisbane um, and the Gold Coast could potentially host another gather round. What do you think? Oh, interesting. Interesting. I think uh, just on South Australia, just on South Australia, Peter uh, Malinakis, he had, he took so many Ws, so many wins this weekend with how great the crowds were with the AFL committing to 2026, with how great the event was, considering they only had five months to actually plan it. Um, considering the fact that they got the event in the first place when, you know, Malinakis admitted this weekend that Gil was actually thinking of giving it to Sydney first off. Um, and also, I think Malinakis is a Port Adelaide supporter, considering how excited he was to be sitting next to Buckley uh, on Saturday night. So a great win for him as well for Port Adelaide. I will say the only loss that he had this weekend, the only personal loss was, I don't know if you saw this weekend when he was up against Jonathan Brown on the couch in between the doubleheader, Essendon and Melbourne and Port Adelaide Western Bulldogs. And Brownie was trying to say why Victoria should get the, uh, get the uh, gather round in future. And Brownie said a very good point, which was when you are a great sample player, where do you go to, to get famous? You come to Victoria. And I will say that Peter Malinakis, I hope he's a better a better debater in parliament because his argument was really, really weak. He said, at least South Australians know how to hold onto the ball properly when they go for mark of the year, which is true, but I don't understand how that helps your point, Peter. <laughs> Good thing that you're premier of South Australia and not, you know, I don't know, an actual football representative from South Australia. Um, but nevertheless, it was a great weekend for him. And I'm really glad the fact that it's, in South Australia for the next three years, I think they fully deserve it. I think, you know, you can have alternating 2023, Crows hosted the opening game, Port Adelaide can host it in 2024, Adelaide can host it in 2025, Port Adelaide can host it in 2026. Um, I think it's, it's going to be so exciting. I can't wait to see where they take it next. Where after that? How about this for an idea? If, if, Tasmania comes into the competition 2027 and if the stadium is built in time have it in Tassie have it in Tassie for a couple of years what a way to start the AFL's proper introduction to the Apple Isle than having gather round in Tasmania for a couple of years so you have five games in Hobart at the new stadium then you have maybe three games in Launceston. 
and then you have an extra match and you take it somewhere regionally, like Devonport. I think that's a great way to start. And it purely depends on whether or not the AFL wants to grow the game into rugby league heartland. But I think if they want a truly memorable event, why not stick with football heartland? And Tasmania has frankly been ignored enough by the AFL, even though they are on the verge of getting a team sometime soon, you would think they've been ignored for long enough. I think that if Brisbane gets gather round before Tasmania, I think that would be a major travesty, actually. Um, but who knows? Maybe it'll be Sydney. Uh, I just think that Sydney, the problem is that crowds never go to games anyways. So even if you have people coming from interstate, you're going to get bugger all people. Why? Like, you you saw Fremantle and Gold Coast get about 10,000 people. If that game was held at Giant Stadium, you would get about 5,000 people. Who knows? Maybe you just don't schedule Gold Coast to play Fremantle. On to one of the main talking points coming out of the weekend, and that is the Gold Coast Suns. I want to ask you, Regan, is due a dead man walking regardless of how the Suns perform against North Melbourne? Because on paper, they should, beat the, they should beat the Kangaroos and they should beat them pretty comfortably as they've done the last couple of seasons. But they are now one and four. Their one win was pretty good. Their four losses have been absolutely dreadful. We're in a golden position, 23 points up in the third quarter against the Fremantle team, dead to right, and they lost. I want to ask you, is due a dead man walking? No, he's not yet. He has to win this game on the weekend. It'll buy him some some time and some extra points to put in the bank. Uh, but if they don't win more than 10 games this season and they've only won one so far, I think he's in serious trouble. His coaching record, 30 wins, 79 losses. Um, wow. Most wins in a season is 10 and he's only on one so far. It's been a pretty poor start by that win to Geelong. Um, and a couple of stats that are would be alarming and keeping Stewie Dew up at night. The Gold Coast are last for disposal efficiency. They're going at 67%. They're 18th in the comp for that. They're 16th for total goals this season. So they, they're struggling to hit the scoreboard. Last year, we saw a, a pretty handy combination of Levi Casbolt and Marvio Chol, they seem to seem to work well together and sort of caught a few by surprise, but that hasn't been happening this season, which is why I'm putting the spotlight on Ben King. He is the man this year. He's kicked 47 goals in 2021 in a pretty average side before he did his knee and missed all of 2022. He's got the ability. I have... I think he's going to be one of the best forwards in the competition in the next couple of seasons. I think a lot of this season rests on Ben King's boot and the ladder position and how far they go up the ladder rests with him. I want to, I want to hear your thoughts. Mate, that is a tasty, tasty, tasty couple of stats. You did not let me down with how much you were pumping these stats up at work yesterday. You did not let me down at all. Um, I wonder if the reintroduction of King has kind of thrown Casbolt and Chol off a bit because it feels like watching Gold Coast, they've had a very quiet start to the year, those two players. And I'm just wondering if that's one of the reasons why the Suns are 16th for goals scored, just because they have King coming back from such a major injury that can take a while to get, you know, to get properly started again. And you're right, he's their main man. So obviously things are going to revolve around him. But if you have your two backup options kind of out of sync, because they all of a sudden they, they, they're not the main targets anymore, I just kind of wonder if that's why they're kind of out of sync at the moment. Um, well, what, what do you think of that theory? It could be, yeah, you're right. It's it's obviously really tough coming back from an ACL and you've got to give him plenty of time to get back to his peak performance. Um, mm -hmm. 
and yet it is tough. I mean, Casbolts and ex- more experienced player Marbiel Choles probably on the other end, and Ben King's sort of fifty games into his career. So, trying to work out that forward structure would be really tough. And I just hope that in the next few few games and even before the buy, they can really start to piece that together and start hitting the scoreboard more prominently. The Suns need to win, I reckon, three out of their next four games. They do play Melbourne somewhere in that stretch, which you would think the Ds would win. But aside from that, they've got three winnable games during that stretch, and they need to win those games because if they don't win, I reckon, at least three of the next four, then Stuart Dew is absolutely a dead man walking. I think he's currently a dead man walking, but if they win three out of the next four, I think that will give him that will buy him some time to kind of get the Suns season properly going. It would be stupid of them to get rid of a coach this early in a season. Yeah, that doesn't that, that doesn't that doesn't really you don't gain much from doing that. They have to beat North Melbourne this week. That's there's no excuses. They have to win. Then, given the Tigers situation, they should the Gold Coast Suns, head down to Marvel Stadium and beat the Tigers. They beat them last season with the goal after the siren. Um, they beat them before about, that at Marvel Stadium. They did. And I said this last time I was on the pod, if they're serious about playing finals and be, being a top eight team, they have to beat, start beating the teams that are 15th to 8th or even in the top eight. They can't just beat the beat the bottom four and then lose to the top eight. They can't just keep sitting in the middle. They need to start making progress. And that starts in the next three weeks when they have to beat North Melbourne and they have to beat Richmond away. And then they've got the Ds at home, which obviously Melbourne are going to be a premiership challenger. But if the Gold Coast want to be, they have to go and beat them. They can't have these honourable losses anymore of good performances where they lose by a couple of goals. At their home ground, they have to go and do these things if they want to be a serious contender to play finals. That's a big call. That's a big call. I like it. They play the Eagles the week after that in Perth, and they should get the win there in WA, considering how poor the Eagles are going. Um, On to another club that is under quite a lot of pressure and another team that has, like West Coast, tried to hold on to past glories and... So far, it's not working. Talking about the Richmond Football Club, Regan, I'll start with you. Are the Tigers in deep trouble? Well, if the Demons get a hold of them on Monday night, Zach Eve, I think there's a pretty grim painting on the wall for them. Um, Dan List is in a really interesting spot. They've got a bunch of kids that have played 25 games or less. And then there's a bunch of players that are nearing 300 games or have passed 300 games. So um, their season hasn't gone to plan yet. They're 16th for disposal efficiency. So this, they're turning the ball over. They're 17th for turning the ball over in the back half this season. So once they're, once they're in defence, they're turning it over and giving opposition shots at goal. And that's a drop from third last year. So they were tight in defence last year, hitting targets, and now they've just completely opposite. They're right down at the bottom, 17th. Um, and a really worrying trend. And this stat, they're in company with the Gold Coast, North Melbourne and Hawthorne, is they've conceded three-plus goals in a row 11 times already this season. So they're wow. letting teams... It's not a huge run on three goals, but it's enough to to change the momentum and change the course of change the course of the game. And the teams that they sit with, like I said, Gold Coast, North Melbourne, Hawthorne, and then for Richmond to be in that, I think is really worrying. So they really need to turn things around, quick, smart, or this could be a really ugly decline down the ladder. Mate, you are coming through with the stats. You are the stats man on this podcast, and I freaking love it. Um, 
in Melbourne, that game is going to be absolutely massive because this is not a week I would want to be playing Melbourne coming off of a disappointing loss against a team that they probably should have beaten. They play the Suns after that, the Tigers. They're currently favourites for that, according to Sportsbet. Um, but I would not be surprised, considering how terribly they play at Marvel Stadium. I don't know. So we so we talked about how West Coast is like the team that's complained a lot over the last few years. The only other team that I've heard complain is when Damian Hardwick said he doesn't like Marvel Stadium. And you know what? From a West Coast perspective, I can understand how that's frustrating because they might say, how come we're getting criticised for having to travel over 70,000 kilometres while Richmond gets to complain about travelling, what, a kilometre and a half to Marvel Stadium? I can understand the frustration. Um, but with that being said, they play the Suns. They play the Eagles in round eight. They should win that before a difficult three-game stretch, Geelong, Essendon, and then Port Adelaide. And considering how those three teams are traveling at the moment, you would probably tip against Richmond in all three of those matches. It's a very difficult situation for Richmond because their first two draft picks this year are tied to the Giants, which are currently, I think, pick six and picks pick 12 because they've got two players on seven-year contracts from the Giants who are currently underperforming. One of them, I think, is going at like 47% disposal efficiency. Having a look at the pick of your shoulder, the stats you were looking at, Regan, yesterday, and I think Essendon are number one in disposal efficiency at 76%, and the Tigers are right down at the bottom. And it's because of players like Tintoranto, who just gets lots of the ball, but just can't do anything effective with it. And they absolutely sold the farm for him. They are in deep trouble in the short to medium term because their older players are getting older. They're getting more injured. you got Prestia, you got Rewalt, you got Cochin being managed. If that's not a sign that you're coming towards the end of your career, I don't know what is. Yeah, just on Cochin, if I can. Go for it. There is, every week there seems to be more signs coming through that there might not be a spot for him for an entire game. I think He's going to feature as the starting substitute for a lot of this season. Mm. He's currently on 292 games. I think he's going to sub his way to 300, play a couple mm. full games, a, f- a few full games. But I just don't think there's a spot for him anymore with Hopper, Taranto and Bolton coming into the middle. Mm. He's not taking any of their spots now. He can't really play in the forward half and playing at half back didn't really work out for him. And he looks to have lost a yard, if we mm. can say that. Um, but I think David King spoke about this the other night, earlier this week. And I think once he plays his 300th, or he's on a one-year contract, which ends at the end of this season. Um, and I think we'll farewell a champion of the Richmond Football Club later this season. And it will be quite an emotional occasion. I reckon that will be round 23, their last game in Melbourne for the year, unless they play finals football against the Kangaroos at the MCG. Mark it down, Trent Cotchin's last game. Just looking ahead to round nine, double header on Friday night, two absolute corker matches. It's Gold Coast against West Coast in Perth and Richmond versus Geelong at the MCG. What a blockbuster. Thanks, AFL. <laughs> Appreciate it. Doesn't that make you wish that the AFL could do what the NFL does and flex certain games to different time schedules? Basically, if you have a really, really good game that's on a really weak time schedule, just because, you know, you weren't expecting those two teams to be as good as they are, you can just bump them to Friday or Thursday night. I reckon the AFL should do that just on Thursday night. It's stopping this weekend for the next weeks and then bringing board in for the buy rounds for about five or six weeks. And then, well, we'll see beyond that. But I want to ask you, should Thursday night be every single week? For the fans and for the broadcasters, the answer is yes. Everyone seems to love Thursday night footy. 
but it's the players that have a little bit of pushback because they are they're not wanting the five day breaks in between games to increase. So mm-hmm. while the players are usually for playing on Thursday nights, they just want to make sure that they're not playing on more five day breaks, which is going to be central to the new CBA agreement, mm-hmm. um, which is being discussed. So broadcasters would love an extra game um, on a Thursday night. The fans seem to love it. Um, it makes the week go quicker for mm. all the fans and punters out there who are looking forward to the next round. But ultimately, it really sits with the players and how many five-day breaks they want because they don't want to be putting themselves at risk of injury by overloading with games and shortened recovery if they're playing with more five-day breaks. I like it. I like it. I think I think it's... Uh... I think it's a good thing for the competition to have footy on Thursday night. I'm a footy nut. I love an extra day of football, and it sure beats Sunday night football on Monday night footy, um, which AFL tried to do for a few years, and it just ended up not working. But I love Thursday night footy. Um, I can understand crowds perhaps being a little bit more apprehensive going to Thursday night football live. But the TV revenue from it must be absolutely ginormous. I don't know what the stats are for that, but it would be quite huge, I can imagine. Um, On to one of the major controversies out of the weekend, which is that ahead of the Anzac Day clash between your pies and my dons, both teams will be missing a crucial, crucial, crucial midfielder after both have received one-game suspensions for dangerous tackles. I'll ask you your opinion about this yesterday. I want to ask, has your opinion shifted? Should Merritt and Adams be free to play on Anzac Day? No. I'll sound extremely biased here, but I sympathise with Taylor Adams and his case that his two teammates were already tackling the St Kilda player, and then he joined into that tackle, which ultimately made the St Kilda player go to ground. But I don't think, I don't feel Adams pinned the arms and drove him into the ground or slung him into the ground. I think it was a pretty rare case that a three-man tackle has resulted in a one-man suspension. So... I find that find that one a little bit confusing, and oh, I like that. That's very good. Whereas Merritt, I this is it'll seem biased because it's the Essendon player, but I do see how he pinned the arms, and I know he tried to take the body to ground on top of him to lessen the impact to the turf, and he tried to um, do it gently, or well, not gently, but you could see tried to tried to do it in a responsible way, but he just didn't execute it. And I think it was a mistake. It didn't look great. Whichever angle you look at it, it doesn't look great to the naked eye. And I think that's the sort of tackle we're trying to stamp out. And I think a one-weeker is, is perfect for that. I think both players should be playing. You know what? I'll say, I'll, I'll bring a little bit of unbiased, opinion into this podcast episode shall I Regan I think both players should be playing I agree with you about the Adams tackle but merit the momentum that was I watching it I swear the Melbourne player contributed to his own head hitting the ground with the way that his momentum the body just went look right it's not a fantastic tackle if you were to try and teach someone how to tackle now with all the rule changes recently and all the head high um uh, concussion problems you would probably teach them not to do this but at the same time it's footy for crying out loud it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a contact sport players are going to get injured I swear I disagree with people saying that the tackle is going to go but is the tackle going to go like you look at some of the greatest tacklers in history they would probably get 10 week suspensions now throughout an entire season just because of the fact that, you know, you've got to try to protect the head, which I understand, 
But for crying out loud, can we just apply a little bit of logic to it, please? And it kills me as an Essendon supporter that someone who would be polling pretty well in the Brown world probably right about now would be now ineligible to win it. I think that is that, a travesty. That takes me to my next point. Should he be ineligible for the Brownlow medal for a a mistake, a one-weeker, um, it was an accident, he didn't strike anyone? Should the AFL look at allowing one or two-week suspensions when counting Brownlow votes? Obviously, if you are suspended for one game throughout the season, you're ineligible. But should the AFL look at being a little bit more lenient and saying if you've got one week, you maybe still can win it. If you've got two weeks, you can still win it. What do you think? That opens up a massive can of worms because if we do that, I can totally foresee past players who got suspended for a week or two for for incidences that granted now would probably get a bigger suspension, but at the time only got a week or two. And because of that, they missed out on the Brownlow medal. From memory, McLeod had that happen to him in, I think, 2001 or 2002 or so. So I want to, I, I, okay. So on that, on that front, and because it's supposed to be the best and fairest player in the competition, and you can't be the fairest if you've gotten suspended, I'm going to say no. Even though. I- Agreed. Even though I think that Merrick should be eligible to win it because he shouldn't have been suspended in the first place. It's total and utter BS. And the league has a yeah. vendetta against the Bombers that has been brewing since the drug saga. No, I'm not sure about that. But there's only two other players that, if that rule come into fruition, two players that could come forward. One is Corey McKernan, 1996. He... Mm. One, we finished first in the Brownlow polling, but was suspended. So um, he would have been a joint winner with James Hurd and Michael Voss and Chris Grant the year after with 27 votes. Um, he would have won outright mm. um, by one vote. So only two Ooh. and Joe, Joe Watson were aware of what's happened there. But um, Ridiculous. Who won? Yeah. Who won? Who, who who won the uh, Brownlow in 97? Robert Harvey. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. That's fair With enough. 26 votes. That's fair enough. Man, imagine that. We got this. We got the three-way tie in the end in 2003, but we could have had another one in 96, both involving Michael Voss. Um, uh, I'm sorry. What am I talking about? 2003 didn't involve Michael Voss, did it? Yeah, you had 2003 was McLeod, uh, not McLeod, it was Goods, um, it was Goods, Buckley and Rashuda, wasn't it? 2003? Uh, yes, uh, I think so. Mm. Yes, Jard in 2004, so yeah. Yeah, right. I don't like Chris Judd, just to let you know. But that's besides the point, we're, we're not here to slag off Chris Judd, a great player. Um. On to the last talking point because because this podcast is quickly falling apart here. Um, I will move on to the final talking point, and um, if it's all right, Regan, I think I will take I'll take over this one. Go for it. I have become deeply uncomfortable with the amount and the type of negative comments on social media directed towards Kelly Underwood and Daisy Pierce by the football public. Because it's one thing to criticise someone. It is another thing to criticise Kelly Underwood and Daisy Pierce for the tone of their voice and for the sound of their voice. And it's one thing to say, geez, isn't that a funny mistake that she made? And it's another thing, I think, entirely to tell these football commentators who are making their way in a predominantly male-dominated field, like what, you have Abby Holmes, you got Kelly Underwood, you got Daisy Pierce, and that's about it. It's another thing to tell these women making their way in, an, in a male-dominated field and telling them to shut up, like I've seen some people do on social media. 
I think this is a deeper problem than just, you know, Kelly Underwood is a bad commentator or whatever, which I don't think she is. Can I just say, right, everyone makes mistakes when they when it comes to footy commentating. Absolutely everyone makes mistakes. Commentators get stats wrong. Commentators get players wrong. Commentators sometimes mispronounce the names of teams. And, yeah, sure, maybe sometimes Kelly Underwood's mistakes might make you kind of tilt your head a little bit and think, what on earth was she trying to, you know, what, what was she thinking about? But as someone who does footy commentating myself, I've made plenty of mistakes. I once called the great football club at Benella, the Benella Saints, who also wear red, white, and black, the St. Kilda Saints, if you can believe it, Regan. I did that on radio. Absolutely killer. I wanted the ground to swallow me whole. But the reason why I bring this up is because I think it speaks to a problem with sexism that is rampant in Australian society and has been for a very, very, very long time. Lest we forget we are the country that elected a man who said, you know, the housewives of Australia should do while they do the ironing and happily stood in front of a sign that said, ditch the witch when talking about Julie Gillard and another sign that called Julie Gillard a word that I'm not going to repeat on this podcast because I'm trying to keep it as family-friendly as possible. We elected that man in a landslide to the position of prime minister, where in a lot of other countries, he would have been kicked to the curb for his rampant, rampant sexism. It is a society that has allowed people like Eddie Maguire to get away with sexist comments. Not so much Eddie Maguire, but um, God, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was Eddie Maguire who said that he would pay someone double to hold Caroline Wilson under the water. You remember that was Eddie Maguire, wasn't it? Um, good it question is... without notice. I'm not sure. Colin Collin was a supporter. Why can't you remember every single one of Eddie Maguire's controversies? But nevertheless, oh, it, is, it is a society that is happy to crucify the AFLW in its infancy because the skills, quote-unquote, aren't on par with the men's. You know, it's low scoring. Go back to the early days of the men's competition and you will see low-scoring football. Essendon won the first premiership in league history back in 1897 after winning against Melbourne 14 points to eight. 14 points to eight. That was just what happened back in the day when the competition was in its infancy. It was a competition that was just starting out. They weren't professional like the AFLW players. They're not professional either. I think people are really, really, really happy. And I'm not speaking about everyone, but I think that there are far too many people out there who are quite happy with cutting powerful women down to size whenever they get the opportunity to because it makes them feel better about themselves because they think that women belong in the kitchen. They should be making them sandwiches and helping them clean their houses. And that is it because they are men who probably never learned how to do those skills themselves, and they are upset at the fact that the world has moved to a more progressive place. And I am frankly sick of it. Everyone has rightfully talked about the amount of rampant racism that has happened recently, and that is understandable because it has been absolutely abhorrent. But I think it's about time that we call out the rampant sexism as well. Kelly Underwood is a decent commentator. I wouldn't call her great, She's certainly not bad. She is fine. Daisy Pierce, I love her level of expertise. I don't know about you on the sideline when she's when she's boundary rider. But it's fine to say that you don't like a particular commentator. It's fine. But when it's when criticism goes from, oh yeah, no, she makes a couple of mistakes to, oh, the sound of it, the tone of her voice is annoying. Or, oh, no, they shouldn't be commentating. That, I think, is extremely problematic. I think you've made your point loud and clear, and I think 
one look at the comment section on an AFLW social media post will further prove that point. And it's become a football meme at this point to say, oh, my team lost, and even worse, Kelly Underwood was commentating. Or, oh, Kelly Underwood is commentating. Perfect game to watch on mute. I it's I don't understand. I do not understand the mindset of people who make these kind of jokes. And people might be saying, well, it's just jokes. But a society that is okay with these jokes and continually making them speaks to a deeper problem within said society regarding sexism. And I think it's very important. We do have a long way to go. We do have a long way to go. I, I would have hoped that we had improved from the days of Julia Gillard being prime minister, but apparently not. Now, we go on to Anzac round, and it starts off in Perth. It's the Dockers and the Bulldogs. Regan, who do you think is going to win this one? I'll keep it quick, but I think the dogs are going to go over there and make a big statement. Ooh. I like it. I like it. How much is they going to win by? Uh, a pretty close one. Yep. Back to the uh, travelling days in 2016 when they defied the odds. I think there's going to be a little mid-season resurgence. Do not ask me why, but I'm still holding on to hope that my tip for the Dockers to make the grand final in 2023 isn't going to be a complete embarrassment and they are going to make finals football. I just think they found something being 23 points down, that belief to come back on, on, on neutral territory. They're back at home. They're at the scene of their incredible victory against the Bulldogs in last year's elimination final. And I think that's going to fire them up. I think the Dockers are going to win the annual Len Hall tribute game. It's going to be a close one. I'm tipping them by about eight points or so. It should be a an absolutely ripping contest either way. And it moves on to Saturday afternoon. The Eagles, after being in South Australia, going back to Western Australia, traveling back to South Australia. I don't have a kid, so I don't understand it. But it goes to Port Adelaide and West Coast at the Adelaide Oval. Uh, this is, I'm looking at the odds. It's quite incredible. The Eagles at a short $9.50. Can you believe it? To win this game, I'm tipping Port Adelaide to win. They should win by about 80 points or so, but it'll be probably closer by about 50. Charlie Dixon is going to kick five goals in a big Port Adelaide win. Only five goals? I reckon Dixon will kick about eight. He's in for a big day. He's in for a huge day. And um, if, if there is, just a side note, if there is a player that I would want to uh, line up on the least, if I was a defender, it would be Charlie Dixon. It's very I mean, strong. He looks like a pissed-off Ned Kelly. Don't you think, with that beard? <laughs> it's not a bad comparison. Um, on to the Giants and Lions in Canberra. I'm going the Brisbane Lions. The Giants have lost their last seven games at this venue. Can you believe that? Wow. Their last seven at Monica Oval. So, I'm going to tip the Brisbane Lions to go over there and roll over the Giants. What do you think? There were there, there was a time not too long ago where you could almost guarantee that they would win at least two out of the three games they would play there every single year. How yeah. the mighty have fallen. And I do think that Brisbane will take over the capital uh, five to six goals. It should be a fairly comfortable win. On to... A grand final rematch, the opening game of the season at GMHBA Stadium. The stadium was supposed to be complete in terms of the renovations by now. I don't think it is, but that's okay. Geelong will be unfurling the premiership flag against the Swans. It's I'm tipping the Swans to win. They've won three out of their last four in Geelong. The really? Swans. They do really, 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 really well down at the Cattery. And I'm tipping the Swans in an upset by about 15 points or so. I have said that Buddy Franklin being out for the Swans is better than him being in at this point. And I, he is due to miss again this weekend. And I'm tipping the Swans to win a good game of football, 15 points. Well, it's a good point you make about Buddy. This season, they're 2-0 without Buddy. 
and when he plays, they're one win and two losses. So I think early season, three, I think you mean three and they Yes, um, but still, I'm going to go with Geelong. I'm not sure where the goals are going to come from this week for the Swans. Amadi's out. Um, had to kick six last week, but it only takes one Geelong midfielder and defender to stop him, and then there's not really much. Our slogan, McDonald, could be in for a big night, and he'll be feeling the responsibility this week, uh, but I think Geelong will have him covered. On to Sunday, and it heads to Launceston at the University of Tasmania Stadium. It's the Battle of the Birds, the Hawks, and the Crows. Remember this great game in 2021 between these two teams down in Tasmania, where the Crows, for some reason, they, they had a player injured and then they took about 20 minutes to replace him. And in that time, the Hawks pegged back like a seven-goal lead that they gave the Crows and ended up winning. Uh, Kaziski, that was his debut game. He kicked about six goals in his first start. Um, I don't think a repeat is going to happen. I think the Crows are looking like they could be the team that bolts from the bottom rungs of the ladder up to potentially a top four spot this year. I'm calling it early Crows fans, potentially a top four spot this season. Um, If that is to happen, they need to beat the Hawks and they need to do so comfortably. I'm tipping the Crows by about seven goals. Yeah, they're flying. I'm um, staying with the Crows on this one. Carlton and St Kilda at Marvel Stadium, 3.20pm Sunday afternoon. This is going to be a huge crowd. Wow. What are you thinking? Just Fourth before, me first. Into, just before I get into the into my prediction, the biggest crowd for these two teams at Marvel Stadium was, I think, 50,000 people. Are they going to beat it? They'll come very, very close to it. I believe tickets are all sold out as of Thursday early afternoon. Um, I think they'll get very close to it. I'm, uh, in terms of who I'm tipping, this game is, I think, a genuine 50-50. And it's such a relief as a tipster to have a round where there are a lot of games that are seemingly straightforward. After last weekend, there were a lot of 50-50 matches. Um, This is a genuine 50-50 game. As shown in the odds, St. Kilda $1.90, Carlton $1.94. I expect Carlton to put in a much better performance than they did against the Crows. But with that being said, the Saints have shown the fact that they are extremely difficult to score against. Yep. And if you cannot outscore them, you have to out-defend them. And I do not trust Carlton's backline enough, especially with Tim Membry coming back in, dangerous forward option for the Saints, and Jack Steele being added to that midfield mix. I think it is a dangerous game for Carlton because I do not trust them to out-defend the Saints. I'm tipping St. Kilda to win in a classic by less than a goal. Wow, it's a flip of the coin for me, but for some reason I don't have a lot to back it up, but I'm just going to say Carlton. They're too close to call. I like it. I like it. You know what, Carlton fans, you can hang your head on. You can hang your head on that. Regan Hodge thinks you are going to win against St Kilda. It should be a. It should be a great game. To be fair, whoever wins, it should be a blockbuster. Um, yes. On to Gold Coast versus. I also sorry just before we go into that, I do notice the fact that their percentages could not be further apart from each other. The Saints at sitting at one hundred and forty four point one percent, and Carlton sitting at ninety six point three percent. Just saying, just saying. I think the Saints. I think the Saints are going to win. Uh, Gold Coast versus North Melbourne at Heritage Bank Stadium. Regan, surely, surely the Suns win. Surely, they have to win. There's no other way around it. There's no excuses. They have to win by six goals. At least, I'm tipping the Suns to win. The Kangaroos. They've seemed to kind of hit the wall already a little bit. Fair enough, because they're young, young and in, inexperienced. Um, if the Suns go into this game thinking that they're just going to win, though, they're going to be good. They're going to be in for a rude shock. They cannot head into this game with the presumption that they're going to win, um, because it should be an interesting game for at least a little bit. But I'm tipping the Suns by about seven to eight goals. It should be fairly straightforward. In the end, we go to Anzac Eve. It's April twenty fourth. 
Also, is it Anzac Eve or Anzac Day Eve? Whichever tickles your fancy. I'm not sure the official term. Anyone listening to this, leave a comment on Facebook or Twitter. Tell me, or Instagram, tell me how wrong I am, please. Um, Melbourne versus Richmond at the MCG. In years gone by, you had the Demons win the first two, you had the Tigers win the next three, the Ds have won the last couple, and I think the Ds will win their third in a row here. It should be, I think, a fairly straightforward game for Melbourne. There has been close games between these two teams in the past, but they have they tend to be pretty comfortable, and I think this will be a pretty comfortable win by about six goals. Yeah, I'm tipping the Demons, not by that much, but I think that I will take care of the wounded Tigers. Which takes us to Tuesday, the 25th of April, Anzac Day, Collingwood and Essendon. Collingwood, early favourites, $1.49. The Bombers out at two sixty three. Is that mm. a fair reflection? I think it's I think it's purely because if Merritt being out, if Merritt was playing as he should be, it would be a lot closer the odds. Um, but I think that's probably fair. I mean, Collingwood, the the team that's the established of the two in terms of the premiership race, the Bombers kind of the young upstarts coming off of a big win. And sometimes when you come off a big win as a young team, they can be the letdown, but it's also history. Collingwood tend to do really well on these Anzac days and Essendon less. So it should be a very interesting game of football though, because whilst we are missing arguably our most important midfielder, you guys have no rucks and our rucks put on an absolutely clinic against the demons. I don't know if you saw, but they kicked five goals between them, Regan. Five goals. And it's going to be a tall order, if you get the pun, because Darcy Moore's really tall, for Darcy Moore and co. to navigate that. And it's really dangerous. Most teams don't have one good ruck option up forward. We've got two. It should be a blockbuster. Regan, I think I know which way you're going to lean on this one. You know which way I'm going to lean with this one. Let's just say you go first. Who's going to win? Uh, Collingwood will take care of the Bombers. And I think we will get close to nudging the Anzac Day crowd record mm. of 94,800. Mm. That was in the first one, 1995, when it was a draw. I think we will almost we'll nudge that. I don't think we'll break it, but we'll get very, very close to it. That was when we had about 10,000 to 15,000 people outside the MCG, uh, including a young Matthew Lloyd. I don't know if you heard about that because he played in the reserves game earlier that day and he tried to get into the crowd late to watch the seniors match and he couldn't get in. He ended up being part of the crowd locked out as a rocker kicked nine in that one from memory and Bucks tried to do the team thing instead of having the shot from 50 and ended up uh, turning the ball over. You're going with Collingwood. I'm going with Essendon. I think our dominant tours will prove too much of a stretch for you guys, especially in your defense, um, it should be a ripping contest. I'm tipping the Bombers by 10 points. Thank Lovely. you. Lovely. Looking looking forward to it. Regan, before you go, I want to ask you which game, obviously, we don't condone irresponsible gambling. We don't really condone gambling at all. But if we did, which game would be your lock? Which one would you bet your house on? Port Adelaide betting the Eagles at home. They... I don't know. It's something about a day game at Adelaide Oval. There's just something about it when Port Adelaide bangers turn up. I think that if I had to lose my house um, or put my house on that, it's going on Ken Hinckley's men on Saturday afternoon. I like it. I like it. Um, just because I like to be different, I'm going the, the Lions to beat the Giants in Canberra. It should Ooh. be fascinating. Leave your tips in the comment section on Facebook on Twitter, uh, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, even if you want to, why not add your tips? And if you get every single one of them right, you will get a shout out at the uh, uh, during next week. There are lots of 50-50 games this round, so you might not get it, but give it a go anyways. Regan, thank you for joining me. I would wish you all the best for Tuesday, but that would be a lie. And I'm like, honest day, but I try to not lie. But uh, it should be a blockbuster. May the best team win. Thanks for having me. It's been good fun. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Join me and a co-host next week as we review 
all the action from the Anzac round and preview a monster round seven, starting with the Saints and the Power on Friday night. Until then, sayonara.